Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to hour number two of Jim Strader Outdoors. If you're just joining the broadcast, we're talking about some of the sweeping changes and proposed changes to Kentucky's deer seasons. I'm calling it Deer Jihad because it stands to change the landscape of deer hunting the way we know it. And I have two gentlemen in the studio with me. One of them is Mark Nethery. Mark is past president of the League of Kentucky Sportsmen. Also have Bob Edwards. He is a board member of the Kentuckyana chapter of of Safari Club International. He's also the third district president of the League of Kentucky Sportsmen. Both of them, however, are here to speak for themselves, not necessarily in in uh, speaking for their organizations. Let me put it to you that way. Clear enough, fellas? Yes, sir. All right. I want to talk about what I consider one of the most onerous things that they're poised to do. And I want to speak as a concerned 38-year veteran of outdoor radio and someone who cares very passionately about the deer herd, and I care just as passionately about people's right to hunt and choose what type of weapon they want to hunt. However, I want to give you a quote. I have a a little paper that's on my refrigerator in my home, and it's a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. That quote from Theodore Roosevelt says, The wildlife and its habitat cannot speak. Therefore, we must and we will. There is through the Wildlife Committee, and I'm being told by insiders at Fish and Wildlife, a vote getting ready to happen at the next commission meeting here shortly to expand the crossbow season all the way across archery season. If you're just joining me, number one, I want to get something clear. I hunt with a crossbow. I will fight for people's right to hunt with a crossbow. But I'm not on board with some of the sweeping changes and the unintended consequences that will happen if they initiate this season and why I'm against it, and I'm going to let these gentlemen explain their their side of it. In a nutshell, here's what it boils down to. With regular archery equipment, we have a very low success ratio in comparison to anything else you want to talk about, muzzleloader, gun, uh, and crossbow. If we allow the hunting of bucks and velvet, if they run this concurrent with regular archery, which opens September 1st, I can promise you they will have made us the number one destination state in America for a season that opens earlier than almost any other state. What are the consequences of that? Several things. Firstly, 
a lot more bucks are going to hit the ground before they have a chance to breed. That's a huge concern of mine because anyone that's hunted early September buck deer knows that they're more docile, they're much more easy to pattern, they're in their summer patterns, and they're just easier to kill. Well, when you start hunting them with a uh, crossbow, which shoots like a rifle, I'm not, you know, disputing one thing or another between the the weapons, I'm just saying it's a fact. That thing shoots more like a rifle. It's got a trigger. It's, most of them are equipped with a scope, and it can shoot to much longer yardage accurately for the average person, so it's a little more lethal type of hunting item. Secondarily, I know a lot of you folks out there that listen to me have been impacted by the leasing of lands, the leasing of places where you used to be able to hunt, places where you used to be able to hunt small game. Uh, You gun hunters, you've lost a lot of places where you used to be able to hunt. Let me pose a question to you. What do you think is going to happen when it becomes a regulation that Kentucky is one of the only states in America where you can hunt Velvet bucks with a crossbow. I can tell you what's going to happen. Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, all the states that have blown up their deer herds, those folks are going to come here and continue to escalate this leasing of private lands, which is the number one thing almost everyone I talk to is curtailing hunting. You small game hunters, they're not going to want you in there. These out-of-state folks that come here, they don't want you to come in and, and hunt their deer leases. I'm sure most of you have already had this happen. The trophy buck component in our herd is going to be altered. I already told you what will happen with the, the deer that are in velvet with all these people coming in to hunt. Right now, there's a period during the pre-rut when... Crossbows aren't allowed. You know why? That was the agreement that was made when the crossbow season was originally brought on so that the deer could be relaxed for the gun hunters when gun season came on. You start pounding these deer September 1 with something shoots like a rifle, and you take that all the way through the season, in my opinion, you have to be very, very obtuse to think that that's not going to alter our deer herd in a negative impact. I don't care how they slice and dice it. I don't care how they explain it. I'm telling you, mark my word, if they do this, it will alter our herd in a negative fashion in a big way. And the number one thing I'm afraid of is this leasing of lands. We are already in a situation where things are very, very rapidly becoming imbalanced. Uh, Mark, there's a the license fees that are coming in now from resident hunters versus non-resident in, in 2017. Um, let's see. I well, think. non-resident hunters brought in about 7.3, almost 7.4 million dollars versus 11, almost 12 million dollars of resident fees. Very, very quickly approaching. Resident dollars, I think, is the point you wanted to get to. It is the point I want to get to. 
And I don't understand why there's not a concern because, again, the small game hunters are going to rapidly lose places to hunt. The gun hunters are going to have these deer under such pressure leading up to gun season that they're going to be nocturnalized. If you gun hunters don't recognize what's going to happen here and don't get on board with this, don't come crying to me when the deer are nocturnalized and they've killed a significant portion of bucks with a weapon that shoots like a gun. This is about money. This is about non-resident licenses. This is about the muzzle of the uh, crossbow industry doing ads and magazines here. You know, someone needs to take a close look going forward and how much money is going to be spent by the crossbow industry in Kentucky Field Magazine and then other things that the department has their hands in. I can't say what they're going to do, but I can tell you we need to be watchful. We need to understand what's driving this train because this proposal was brought forward by a small group of individuals that have told folks, oh, this won't hurt anything. Well, I'm here to tell you it's going to hurt a lot of things. Here's, here's another factor that I think is very important. There's two openers that have been discussed. I don't know what the commission's going to pass, but either one of them is onerous to me. A September 1st opener, if you start killing does September 1, I'm telling you right now, you're giving their fawns a death warrant. You're talking about fawns that are only at that point approximately 14 weeks old. If you open it September 15th, which has been proposed, they're approximately 16 weeks old. Now, maybe these folks think they're smarter than God, but God created these critters to where these does nurse their fawns and give them their milk to get them through that period in late summer going into early fall where they've got good body weights to get up and running, to be ready to eat acorns and get the weight that's needed for them, A, to be able to avoid predators, and B, to have sufficient weight to get through the winter. Everybody's talking about, oh, this is this is the opportunity for the youth. Let me tell you something that's going to happen. I know it's going to happen because I have bow hunted during that period of the year when I was ignorant about what would happen. They're going to shoot a doe that's got fawns. When that doe drops dead, those little fawns are going to stay right there. When you get out of that blind to go gutter, they're going to stay right there. They're going to be bleeding for their mother, and they are going to be bleeding and searching for mama for another period of days going forward where they're coyote bait and bobcat bait. Now, if that's a good way to manage deer, then you have to back up and explain it to me in a way that I can accept it. But I can tell you right now, I want you to remember this. I'm telling you, if they do this, our herd's going to slide, and they're actually going to alienate youngsters instead of having them embrace the sport. Gentlemen, do you all have any opinions about that? Jim, I think you're right on point. Not only, you know, you, you've already hit the uh, out-of-state issue, you know, the number one prize trophy right now in whitetail deer hunting is a velvet buck. And we're one of the only states where you can kill it. And when you have an influx of hunters, which the numbers prove that there's an influx of out-of-state hunters coming in, non-resident hunters coming in, and they can pick up a crossbow and go sit in a tree stand and have the best opportunity in in the lower 48 states to take a, a, 
a velvet whitetail buck, it's going to do damage. I, I can I can tell you a real life experience that before all this hit the radar, it, it didn't really mean anything to me. But I have a friend in Florida who is an avid deer hunter. He's been up several times to my place. And he called me up and he said, hey, I'm going through the, the deer seasons. September 1st, that's the earliest earliest year seasons that have ever been and the best chance for my son and I to kill a velvet buck. He finished the conversation with, we don't really care how big it is. We just want a velvet buck. Yeah, because that is the scary part with regard to the resource on the buck side. And you'll see in a, I think you will see in a two to three year period, Kentucky's going to slide out of being a, a, a top Boone and Crockett state. Then you've got the secondary resource issue of the young fawns out there of these of these deer being taken early. Well, and here's another aspect that's unbelievable because it's an irony. If this escalates non-resident leasing the land and increasing their license sales, those people don't come here to kill does. They come here to kill bucks. They luster after our trophy buck situation here, and we're going to blow it up so people can hunt with a crossbow the entire Archery season, I, I don't get it. I, I I understand people's desire to hunt with a crossbow, okay? That's fine. That's all well and good. But you better be careful what you ask for because I can tell you right now, if we do this, you small game hunters, you're not going to be able to find many places to hunt anymore because these out-of-state boys are going to come in and lease it all up, and I think we need to hold – the commission and Gabe Jenkins responsible for promoting this kind of irresponsible situation. I'm just against it. We got to go to break here. We got Ed hanging on. Ed, we'll get to you right after the break. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties, Hart Realty. Check them out, M-O-P-H-A-R-T Realty.com. Welcome back to Jim Strader Outdoors. We've got Ed Nybert. Ed, I hope I'm pronouncing your name properly. Ed, can yes, you sir, hear me? Nybert. Yes, sir. Very well, yes, sir. Welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you. Um, as I said, I'm the, the we've newly formed a chapter of Quality Deer Management Association down here in Anderson County, and I'm the president of that chapter. Um, QDMA's policy on it is if it increases recruitment of hunters then uh then they're all for it um i'm personally speaking away from qdma i think that it has potential um i think that all the outcomes you've discussed unintended or otherwise are potential as well but here's what 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 i i think that we need to look at it from from first of all a biology point of view um to talk about taking away a doe from her fawn september 1st if we had an even ratio deer herd in this state. Every one of our deer would be bred during primary rut, and all the fawns would be on the ground before June 1st, in which case she wouldn't be separating a spotted fawn from her mother. Ethically, I've got a problem with anybody who would do that anyway. Um, secondly, it has been proven, uh, Kip Adams did a great study, a five-year study in QDMA, where he tracked does that were shot and their fawns, their offsprings. What he found is if the doe was removed from the situation prior to her running the fawns off, 
that Buckton's core area was going to be within one to three miles of where his mom lived. Conversely, if the female runs the buck off, he's going to live six to seven miles away. So as a deer manager, I want to take that fawn or that mother of that fawn, but not before he's able to live on his own. Um, so that, that, I want, that's kind of what the biology of it is, is getting at. I agree with you. There's a lot of money uh, involved as well. Um, but consider this. Um, the majority of states out west get 90% or better of their revenue to manage their wildlife populations from non-resident hunters. I know in Alaska it's 95% of non-resident hunters provide 90% of the monies that use them to manage Alaskan wildlife. Um, so we've got to look at it from that point of view, too. Um, but I, getting back to what I was wanting to say is we need to do this with a sunset if we're going to do it and make sure that the statistics that are happening in other states like Wisconsin uh, are going to bear out here as well. You know, Wisconsin went with the same thing last year. I don't have the 2017 harvest date in front of me. Um, but whenever they legalized crossbows, there's only been an uptick of about 5% harvest change. And that gain in crossbow harvest was actually lost in gun harvest. Um, now, they hunt differently than we do up there. They have a, a distended season. You have a bag limits, unlike I do in Zone 1, where I can kill as many does as I want to. Well, Ed, uh, slow down a little here. <laughs> they don't open as okay. early as we do either. No, they do not. And now, and I, and I was going to talk about that as well, too. Um, well, you know, ha- I, hang on for one second. Bob Edwards, you had a comment about... We got two minutes, then we got to go to break. The western states are gigantic with relatively small populations. They're, they don't really factor into us. And a lot of the QDMA surveys and studies are taken in states that are far south of here where they do not have the bobcat and coyote issue that we're facing now. So it's difficult. The, the two things don't exactly correlate. Well, but they do because biologically both those two animals you just mentioned are cyclical along with the small game prey species that they have. Uh, another study was just done by the University of Georgia and Larry Marshington. Um, they found that the coyotes that we're seeing running through Lexington, those have been displaced. They don't have a home area. Those are the ones that are more likely to kill your dogs, your cats, and our deer. Uh, the resident population, like the den that I have on the back of my 40 acres here in Anderson County, they don't mess with my deer because they live here. Um, whenever mom uh, Ed, I ain't buying that. No, 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 no. Coyotes are opportunists. I don't care where they live. If they come upon a fawn, they're going to eat it. I can't. I can't buy that, partner. It's, well, I, I'm sorry. I just can't go there. That's, well, I, I understand that, but I also know that the studies back that up 100. Um, percent And I'm a biologist. That's why I called in today because there's some biology that, that has to play in here, and we have to pay attention to it. They're not just arbitrarily going in there and doing that for money. Um, Having lived in three different states, worked in land management in three different states, two of them in the Midwest, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and here. Um, Ed, I've got to go to break here, partner. i got hard break. All right, folks, we'll be back from break. Ed, if you want to hang on, that's fine. This break is presented by SMI Marine, 11400 Westport Road, Legend Bass Boats, Starcraft Pontoons, and Express Aluminum Boats. Check them out, smimarine.com. All right, we're back on Jim Streeter Outdoors, and we had Ed Nybert on the line. I think we were disconnected, but he's back. Ed, are you still there? Yes, sir. All right, sir. Yes, sir, I am. I want, Ed, I want to say something because 
I'm sure you must be aware of this. If you're not, I'd encourage you to go look at it. Are you aware of the QDMA study about fawn mortality from coyotes? Yes, I am. Well, then how can you sit there and say that coyotes and and fawns can be in a symbiotic relationship in a given parcel of ground? I I don't understand. I mean, I I talked to Brian Murphy about this. Let me finish. I talked to Brian Murphy, who you probably know exactly who he is, extensively about this. He used to argue with me about it. After they did their study, he called me up. He said, Jim, I tell you what, you were right. Coyotes have a very significant impact on fawn mortality. In fact, in areas where the cow numbers are up, it's very hard for those deer to recruit. So what what are you talking about, Ed? What I'm saying is that the, it is the coyotes, the nomadic coyotes that get run out that become the, pred- the, the most predacious. And they just released this study. It's, I, got, I don't have my magazines with me because I'm in my truck. Or I'd, I'd quote it to you on the exact date and issue. But uh, either that, that's, you know, that they're cyclical based on small grain populations more than they, they are on deer. And that's just a biological fact. I, I can't um, argue that, but, but I'm but agreeing I want, with that. But, but, but what I want, what I also want to say is the study that Kip did about the about the buck recruitment was actually done in the Northeast, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, um, is where he he did that study out of. Just because uh, the the gentleman that spoke to me before talking about how they use Midwest studies, QDMA got a lot of grief about that because they weren't being even handed. Um, so they did that study there for that reason. Um, but the, the the other thing that I wanted to touch on real quick, Jim, um, I won't take up any more of your time. Yeah, because I got a lot of callers hanging. I heard y'all. I heard y'all talking about uh, you know what we do with these does that we're going to be harvesting in early season. Uh, we have a wonderful program in the state called Hunters for the Homeless, Hunters for the Hungry, um, and it's one hundred percent volunteer funded. Um, if I can dispel a myth real quick, a lot of people believe that these processors are giving their time away, and they're not. We pay them. We negotiate a rate with those processors and actually have to pay them for X number of deer for them to do, which is why a lot of us who hunt and then go in and try to give one away, they don't have any more money left to clean it for us. So if everybody would pull out a $10 bill and send it to Hunters for the Hungry, we'd have a way to get rid of these animals uh, ethically without having to shoot them for for population purposes, which we don't do. (laughs) All right. Well, currently hunters have to bear that cost, so I've got a suggestion. I want to see if you're on board. I understand that Farm Bureau wants more deer killed because of the deer collisions. Why don't they pony up and fund the processing fees for these these deer? Why don't they do that? Um, they, they should, and we and we need to pressure them to do that since they're the one pushing for these higher bag limits in, in the urban areas. Um, what I would hate to see happen is, is what they do in Atlanta. Uh, what they're doing in Minneapolis now is to have to hire – uh, sharpshooters that come into these neighborhoods at night with silencers and they shoot the deer and then there's a crew that comes behind and throws them in a pickup truck. And then they're dead and uh, hauled away. Amen. Ed, thank you, buddy. I appreciate your right. comments. Let's go now to Ed Morris, uh, who's calling in. Bob, real quick, you have a comment. Kentucky hey, Farm Bureau. Hey, Ed, hang on for a second. Bob Edwards has a comment. Kentucky Farm Bureau just made a $10,000 donation to Kentucky Hunters for the Hungry they also are funding all of the electronics, the on-site website services, and so forth. They're one of the largest contributors to that program. Okay. I wasn't aware of that. Is this a new one? I knew Department of Agriculture had done that, but I didn't know 
Kentucky Farm Bureau had. Okay, good. Well, plaudits. Glad they did that. Okay, Ed Morris, we got you. Uh, evening, James. How are you, sir? Well, I'm perplexed about a lot of what's going on, and uh, if they want to blow this herd up, it ain't going to be on me. Well, I'll throw my two cents worth in, and again... Identify yourself, Ed, for folks who don't know uh, you. Uh, Ed Morris, uh, former president of the Lake Kentucky Sportsman, former president of Derby City QDMA, and a whole bunch of sportsmen's clubs over the last 35 or 40 years, so uh, it's not my first rodeo, but... Uh, Couple things real quick. I know you got other callers, but I wanted to throw my two cents worth in. Um, as far as all of the deer regulations, like Bob Edwards said earlier, uh, he mentioned my, one of the things that I bring up all the time for years. The Department of Fish and Wildlife's mantra has been small steps, monitor, adjust, small steps, monitor, adjust. And this is far from small steps, monitor, and adjust. I, um, a little over a year ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, I had a conversation with Greg Johnson. Greg at the time was the uh, commissioner of the Department of Fish and Wildlife before he retired uh, late last year. Or maybe it was earlier this year. But, but Greg had just spent two or three days at the Kentucky Farm Bureau State Convention and meeting. And he was telling me about it. He said, Ed, you, you won't believe it. He said, the entire time that I was there, I was continually bombarded by the legislators who attended, by the lobbyists, for the insurance and the farming industries, that you've got to kill more deer. You've got to kill more deer. Uh, we can get people involved. You, you've got to do whatever you can do to kill more deer. And I know that a lot of this is based on science, and, and I realize that some of the areas are overpopulated. But anybody who doesn't think this is still some trickle-down from kill more deer, kill more deer, from the folks that are getting getting it hit in their back pocket, being the, the farming industry and the uh, insurance lobby, uh, need to step back and take another look. Um, well, you know, and, one of the things – go ahead. And to your point, here's here's that's fine on knee-jerk. You know, here's how we can kill more deer. But the fact of the matter is, with some of these measures – you're going to have more out-of-state people come in here, lease up land, less local hunting participation, and these out-of-state people don't come here to kill those. The long-term effect is going to be an irony that's going to hit them square in the face, and none of the local people are going to have anywhere to hunt. The gun hunters are going to be frustrated because the deer are nocturnalized. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. The, Jim, let me tell you. let me tell you one thing. I got just this week, I got my new Whitetail Journal magazine. I get all the, the Whitetail magazines, and uh, in particular, the two that I hold is in the highest is Quality Whitetails, QDMA, with me being a, a member and former officer there, and, of course, I'm speaking for myself, and Whitetail Journal, because they're based on science and biology, and they're not me and Jim and Joe went hunting. They're actually. And in this month's art magazine, there's a big article on killing velvet bucks. And they go through all of it, how it's becoming the new trophy, et cetera, et cetera. And the number one state that they recommended in this national publication, if you want to kill velvet bucks, is go to Kentucky. They open early for bow hunters, and then they mention that Kentucky is considering relaxing crossbow rules. So it's already out there. 
we're already picked. I mean, we open earlier than any state other than maybe like South Carolina or whatever opens in August. But for the most part, we're, we're the, as far as a trophy destination. Well, we're the number one state, and we're the only ones that open that early. I will, you know, we, uh, I'm in a lease as an example down in Metcalf County. There's six of us. One of them's a New York City police officer. One of them's a retired New York City police officer. One of them is a current New Jersey State trooper. One of them's a major league ball player that lives in Miami. Uh, and the other one is me and, and, a, and a friend of mine, Bob Shannon House. These guys don't spend $2,000 a year to come to Kentucky and kill those. They don't kill those when they come here. That's right. They drive 10 hours. They, they drive 10 hours, and we've got almost 700 acres leased up down there. And other than Bob and I, nobody else kills those. And these guys that come to Kentucky uh, and, and go to Whitetail Heaven and some of these, you know, these bigger name outfitters, they don't spend three and four thousand dollars. To come here, and with, and with this, you just like you said, there's going to be an influx of people coming here. More property leased, prices of the current leases, you know, they're going to go up. You know, that's you know, may, may, maybe I'm uh, overreacting, but I don't think so. I've seen what lease prices have done just in the last two and three years. Breckenridge County, five years ago, we paid ten dollars an acre. Now we pay twenty four dollars an acre. And it's going up. We just paid 2% more this year on our Metcalf County lease. And in the same respect, I go to Kansas and hunt every year, and I don't kill those out there. Like we let them walk right by us because we didn't go all the way to Kansas. And well, all this property, they're wanting to kill more does, but part of the effect is a lot of these out-of-staters, if they're leasing this property up, they're not going to kill more does. Absolutely. And, and less and you less know, resident hunters that would have killed a doe are going to be able to find a place to hunt because the non-residents have leased it up. I, I, yep. Lindsey Thomas had an article in, in uh, Whitetail, Quality Whitetails, QDMA magazine here about a year ago about what, hunter retention and, and about hunters leaving. And the number one reason why people leave hunting is Lack of access. Yep. Kentucky Fish and Wildlife last year stated it was their number one problem with returning hunters, not new hunters, but lack of access. And the more these out-of-spread non-residents come in and lease up this property, I mean, there, you could probably get 50 phone calls tonight, Jim, from people that listen to your show that have lost their leases Well, uh, because of that. Here's the other thing, Ed. If they expand this crossbow into the pre-rut period, anybody that's hunted deer knows what's going to happen because human nature is such that folks that gun hunt, a lot of them are going to say, hey, I better buy a crossbow and go hunting. Well, that sounds great well, what, initially, but yeah. they're going to nocturnalize the herd through pressure to where by the time gun season opens, the average gun hunter is not going to see the deer they used to see. There's too many well, what, negative things right. here. What Ed Dibert left out of his comments earlier was in that Wisconsin report that came out where they tracked crossbows separately from compound bows, traditional bows, is, yeah, the, 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 the take only increased last year about five or 6,000 deer up there. But the headline was, DNR officials concerned about the number of bucks killed prior to the rut, and 52% of the bucks that were killed in Wisconsin, since they went to crossbows, which crossbow hunters now kill more deer than compound hunters, which you know, that's, that's just come about in two years since they opened it all the way up. Uh, oh, 52% of the bucks killed 
in Wisconsin were killed prior to the rut for the first time ever. Yep. So there's a lot of biology that goes into, especially like you talked about, hunting earlier. And all these people are based on an October one opener, not a September one opener. I know it. And we're, we're again, going in a trend that's going to be detrimental. So, I, Ed, yep. I, I appreciate your insight. And I'm going to give some numbers and places people can go to address their concerns about this before the program is over. So, uh We'll just see. I just I hope the people of Kentucky understand. If you're a small game hunter, I promise you, you're going to have less places to hunt on average. Because if they do this, I can promise you, if you're a gun hunter, your deer are going to be more boogered up, more nocturnalized. I can promise you, if you're a gun hunter, you're probably going to be feeling very, very tempted to pick up that crossbow and to utilize it because a fear that your neighbor's going to kill it. But the, the the detrimental effect of all that is killing more bucks before they have a chance to breed. How in the hell can that be good for the herd? I, Amen on that, sir. All right. Well, I'll get off here, Jim, and I'll let you get to your other callers. Very good. Thanks, Ed. Bye, I'm going to go to a quick break here. we got Alex hanging on, several others behind him. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty. Paul Thomas is the broker, all kind of vacation cabins, wildlife management properties, and farms. Check him out, M-O-P-H-A-R-T, realty.com. We're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. Uh, Bob Edwards, you've got an announcement. Uh, let's make it brief if we can because we don't have much time uh, about a special event that you all have. We have two events upcoming. Rachel Kroom, the Executive Director of the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife Foundation, conducts an annual event, the Annie Oakley Range Day event. This is a program for women who are new to shooting, new to firearms, to come in a very fun, low-pressure environment, learn about the handguns, learn about long guns. This event will be June 16th. It will be at 8 o'clock in the morning at Fern Creek Sportsman's Club, 15,400 Brusher and Road, Louisville. There's no cost associated with this. We provide all of the equipment, all of everything. We being? Um, this is a program put on and conducted by the sportsmen of our area. This is a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Kentucky Chapter Safari Club International, all sportsmen, every sportsman that I can find to come and be volunteer instructors and things. This is for sportsmen, for Recruitment. Okay, and is there a website folks can go to? The registration is at the Kentuckiana Safari Club International website. Go to KentuckianaSafariClub.org, O-R-G, to the Annie Oakley Range Day drop-down box to registration. We're going to shoot aerial shotgun, stationary shotgun, rimfire rifle, rimfire handgun, uh, stick bow, crossbow. Very good, sir. All right, I appreciate that, and we'll post that information up on our, our webpage. Uh, Alex Lee, yes, sir. Are you there? I'm there, Alex. We don't have much time, but I wanted to get you in here. Uh, well, I'm going to quickly tell you this. I share your thoughts on the crossbow season. There is no reason to start this thing that early. There's no reason to start in September. It makes no sense to me, and I just don't understand the thinking of the Department of Fish and Wildlife other than what you have said. 
follow the money. Well, Alex, that's kind of a big turnaround for you. I hope that's due to our discussions and, and some of the information that I think most people didn't have before we started really looking into this and why they were doing it. Well, you have changed my mind about a number of things, Jim, and I do appreciate it. I appreciate you, Alex, and you've been a stalwart member of the conservation organizations, Turkey Federation, and all of them across the board, really, through your career. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. All right, folks, here's what you should do if you object to these season changes. There's an LRC in the legislature. It's a legislative review committee. These are members of the legislature that look over regulations like these and decide whether they're the proper thing for the Commonwealth, whether they're for good of the people of the Commonwealth. I'm going to give you their numbers right here, and I will have them posted on our website here at whas.com. Those numbers... And again, this is the legislative message line for the LRC, 502-564-8100, 564-8100, or 1-800-372-7181. Mark Nethery, where can they find this on the web? Uh, You can go to ky.lrc.gov, and uh, it'll be posted on there. It's very easy to find. If you don't remember the website, just simply type in, Kentucky legislature contact numbers, and it'd bring that right up to you. Very, very good, sir. Well, I appreciate y'all's participation in the program. I'd also encourage each of you to contact your Department of Fish and Wildlife Commissioner in your district. There's nine of them. We will list their names and numbers as well, or you can go to Kentucky Fish and Wildlife webpage, and they're right there. All right, folks, I'm sorry to bring you the news about Dear Jihad, but that's the way I see it. God bless everybody. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.